do we want to talk about like the biggest Oscar news in 10 years or are we just going to pretend like it didn't happen? I'm fine with that reality. No, uh, why would you be? I, I want, I don't want to pretend it didn't happen. I was overjoyed this happened. I mean, no, I mean, I, I, I have kind of just been saving this for dessert. Like, I'm so excited for this <laughs> conversation. It's like, when the meal comes out at a restaurant, you're just like, I gotta, like, take Instagram pictures and look at this for a minute. I can't touch it yet. It's so delicious. That reminds me of this metaphor I've been workshopping, and I want to get it out while it's still somewhat relevant. <laughs> Scott Frost was fajitas. He looked good coming out to the table. You hear that sizzle sound? You know... You see it coming out, you're like, oh my god, this is going to be the best meal I've ever had. This is good content. Then you eat it, and it's fine. I mean, it's not even fine. It's like kind of like the, the onions are limpy. And it's pepper. cold. Why is the fajita always cold? Despite the sizzle. It, it, it comes out like you're like, oh my god. And the, as, as a former Chili's waiter, I had to explain, actually... Both of these principal members of this podcast uh, are former Chili's employees. I know what the sizzle sauce is. I know how the sausage gets made on the fajitas, okay? It's, it's, it's kind of gnar, man. Yeah. Like, especially when, I'm go- when I was going too fast, it's like, the place not that hot, but I put on the sizzle sauce, and now it's just, like, turning the, like, rice and veggies all swamp-ass with, like, weird <coughs> soy sauce, mesquite shit. Absolutely. I could be like a half hour late to a table, but you splash a bit of that sizzle sauce, who knows what is in that thing? I never even asked. And that thing comes out sounding, you know, like <laughs> like five-star fajitas. Like, it's, like that sound is so addicting. It bubbles. It's like, you know, it gets in your, your – it's like food ASMR. But the actual contents of it is like 30-minute old beef, rice from a can, and uh, vegetables that may or may not have actually been planted. Yeah, no, I mean, oh, definitely lab-grown. But whatever, like, so were you a buster or a server? I was a buster. I was busting with the boys. Busting with the boys? At Will Compton, we have a better podcast than you. Um, We do. I've never listened to yours, Will, aside from Scott Frost interview that I slept through on the drive to Minnesota last year. I, I support that. It was worth sleeping through. Um, no, I, I, I was a, unfortunately a server at Chili's for a time. And so I had to, like, sell Chili's food. And the thing is, that sounds like a daunting task, but it's not for two critical reasons. One, most people going to a Chili's recognize that they're going to a Chili's, but Chili's have gotten better in recent years. It's not good, it's still terrible, but it's better than it used to be in, like, 2004, which is the last time that, like, they couldn't go to the restaurant they wanted to for some reason, so they went to a Chili's. I, I will defend most Midwestern chain restaurants, but I do not have a high standard when it comes to food. I, I, I will not defend, oh, Jack Prescott looks hurt. There's a man in a cowboy hat looking at his wrist. Is that Cooper Rush in the game? Is that who? They're Dallas' backup. I want to say that's Cooper Rush, Maxton legend of Central Michigan. I have watched him on many a Tuesday night, so I am very happy he is still a part of my life years later. Painfully ginger, and it looks like it looks like he's going for it on fourth down. Damn, the Falcons could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> 
only irrationally remind America of two things at this moment of time, which is 457 left in the fourth quarter of the Dallas Cowboys game. Um, first, the NFL loves the Cowboys and will do anything to keep people pro- proclaiming that the Cowboys are back. And second, this is a two-score game with five minutes left. The Cowboys have three points. Iowa outscored them this week. No, I don't. I don't want to see it. I'm saying it's a reality. It is. For like whatever reason, people like to think the Cowboys mean something, and I appreciate it because it makes it more funny when they fail, which they always do. Like I appreciate a good punching bag. I really do. And no, they they never have. Yeah, they do have that two-minute warning, though, which is really an, an anachronism from the time where, uh, like, scoreboards weren't ginormous. Yeah. But I'm glad they kept it, because it, it's one of those weird quirks. I like quirks in sports, okay? I feel, random rant, before we get to the actual, I feel like we're losing quirks. Baseball has almost no quirks left. Yes, this is gone. The, the American and National League play each other all the time now. Yep. The designated hitter is a universal law. You, you can't shift anymore. The pitch clock is based. But, like, baseball has lost all of its fun quirks almost. You know? I, I will say that uh, there are two really critical and related quirks of baseball that just will never go away. And they are as follows. First, ballpark dimensions. Very true. Objectively, baseball would be a better sport if there was a standard size of ballpark. It would be a more fair sport, but not a better sport. Okay, a more fair sport, yeah. If you're looking for fair winners, then, like, Boston should not have the Green Monster, and, uh, the, oh, wow, that's a big sack. Um, New York should not have the Little League port in a right field. <laughs> Does Tigers have any stadium ports? I feel like, uh, I don't think we do. What's the name of that park? Comerica? Uh, yeah, I was going to say Comerica, but then I didn't think that was in Detroit because that sounds nice and nice things don't happen in Detroit. Don't they have, like, a fence that's shaped like the D logo, or do they make that up? I don't know. Are they one of the ones that have, like, the weird outfield raised logo grass thing? I don't I think so. I've also never been doing it there, but I have watched the entire state of Austin in a couple months. I hate the Astros removing the hill. That is more objectionable than anything they've done in the cheating scandal, is removing the hill with a lamppost in fair play. Why would you ruin that baseball first? How do we, I guess that's my other problem. How do we start with Scott? Yeah, okay, let's just get into it. We've stalled enough. Uh, hey, uh, y'all, uh, the Huskers fired Scott Frost. This is going to be how we started the pod. I'm sitting today at, I want to say, like, no, it was like 1234 that it came out. Yep. The Nebraska Corn Huskers Facebook page is where I found out the information. I found it out. Just like three minutes after the fact. Um, Justin, where were you when Kennedy died? Uh, I was enjoying uh the one bit of hope I had in the Falcon season when we were up sixteen to seven, 
over Nick's New Orleans Saints when I got a text from friend of the pod Nick Wyman uh, alerting me of the Huskers tweet of an uh, announcement from uh, Trav Albert. And without even reading, I, I knew what announcement from Trav Albert meant. Like, why would he announce anything that's not, I told Frost to take a hike and don't let the door hit you. And uh, I looked up the message and it essentially confirmed that. And I fist pumped, I texted everyone I thought to know the news, and uh, I was very happy. I was so happy I ignored the next quarter and a half of the Falcons game, and then returned when we were up uh, 26 to 10, and just in time to watch us blow the 16.4 quarter lead. So, uh. I feel that, dude. Yeah. But then again, I am so happy that the Huskers did a right thing organizationally that the Falcons' loss did not ruin my day the way it would have most weeks. Yeah, I I feel that. Like, today felt like it could have been a really shitty day if it weren't for this news. Yeah, no, no lie. I edited the podcast last night. I went to sleep at like 3.30 a.m., and I slept like four hours. And I woke up mad and pissed about last night's game. I I read every, you know, negative thread I could about the Huskers. And then I moved on with my life. And then he got fired. And then I was at peace. Because in the morning, when I was in my doom scroll of I can't go to sleep because I am so mad at, it, at this despite how tired I am, I was like, there is no reasonable way for them to correct this beyond firing him. Today. Not Monday. Today. And he actually got fired today. So I was at peace. I knew after that there is no reason for me to have any anger towards Scott Frost anymore. The bad man is gone. He cannot hurt us anymore. I mean, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of crazy. I expected to chill out after last night. I didn't. Like, I stayed mad about that game. I'm going to stay mad about that game basically forever. Like, yeah, God, I mean, Chris did what he needed to do. Uh, but at the same time, that was embarrassing. That was a program-defining embarrassing moment that just showed where we are. Um, one thing that I want to say, we, we have to talk about the buyout. Because really that's the only lie you left. Like, no one is saying Scott should have been retained. Yes. For more than three weeks. Two more games that I'm having to deal with. Like, that was my big thing. I was like, I was going to feel better about him getting fired today and I was not joking. Because then I'm going to have to sit through two more games. Be in a student session for one more game. We're looking to a changing fire shot for us. But, like, your other team is not going to be what I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm beyond happy to have him today. Um, I am um, thrilled that it happened today. And to kind of, like, work through the money of it all, it's $15 million total, 7.5 of which we would have been on the hook for anyway. But, at the same time, 
big noon kickoff is coming to Lincoln this Saturday to talk about for literal hours in front of, I would say, a national audience. You might call it regional. But I, I, I do genuinely think people across the nation get fed up this game day and flip it over to big game kickoff. At which one of our potential coaching hires, whether you like it or not, Urban Meyer, will be speaking, again, for hours on end. But I saw a tweet today that I bookmarked so I could give this person credit because I just think that this tweet sums up like the perfect take on the money situation. Let me see. Here are my bookmarks. Ah, here we are. Someone has said that the Nebraska Athletic Department is paying almost $8 million for Scott Frost to not coach 19 more days. I realize football is life and money grows on trees and all that, but that's insane. It's insane. And someone said, actually, it's uh, Lee Barbeck. Barbie. Good old Barbie, whose at is Lee B. Baller, said an insanely cogent tweet. No, it's not. With national TV pregame show from Fox at Nebraska this week, Trev changed the narrative from looking backwards. He's getting $20 million in free advertising for looking ahead and selling NU. Very savvy. And you know what? That's just the kind of thing where my tweet tweet changed my whole perspective on something. That is like a great trade. I, I do think it matters. I do think it matters where the show's going. Fans watch that. Fans from across the country watch that. It's a huge chunk of time in which they are hyping this game that would receive no attention and get buried if this hadn't happened. Now, everyone in the nation is going to be talking about who might Nebraska hire, what does Nebraska look like a week removed from Scott Frost against number six Oklahoma. You know, I, I think that we injected some intrigue back into what should be, by all rights, a big week in Lincoln, Nebraska. Absolutely. The, the thing, my take on the buyout is that uh, this is something I think it's kind of weird that uh, of all sports fans care about is, like, the financial status of their respective teams. It's not my money. I get that, you know, taxpayer in Nebraska, public university, I guarantee you a booster ponied up the money to get him canned early. Okay? This is not my money that is going to Scott Frost getting canned now instead of October 1st. So why would I care at all that the university, most likely by way of a private party, paid up the money to can him when we all knew that he was going to get canned instead of something that would have saved them money. And when that new TV contract kicks in, the extra $12 billion is going to look like chump change, okay? This has no effect on me as a fan, whether or not we had the right buyout or not. He got fired at the exact time he should have. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I do not care about the money. I see no reason why I should. I am sure that two or three or five boosters or whatever came together and ponied up the checks today. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night. Yes. 
because as you said, we essentially paid Scott Frost $12.5 million to not mope around on the sidelines during a national TV loss to Oklahoma. Well worth it. Well worth it. Absolutely well worth it. And... You also got to think about the fact that it's not really program money. And it's likely not money that would have come into the program unless Scott was headed out to me, if not now. Yeah. This is an investment in keeping boosters happy. This is an investment in keeping fans happy. I think it's very realistic that even if the team sucks donkey under Mickey Joseph, which we'll get there, but I think it will. Yeah. Nothing fundamental changed. We still suck, and the locker room's still going to be lost. I don't think that anyone is turning around and saying everyone is going to be sunshine and roses now. But I do think that this gives us a better fighting chance, and if nothing else, it keeps people happy and engaged. Yes. So, like, one of the points I was brought up by one of our friends earlier today, we now have, like, three extra weeks to be looking at candidates. Yep, that's useful. Amen. Nobody else has fired anybody. Nobody else is looking to hire anybody at the current moment. So it's like, we don't have a whole rest of the season, not a whole lot Like, we are on the first pony of the coaching carousel. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't think it can be understated that us we're essentially giving Mickey Joseph an entire Big Ten season to audition for the job. Do, do I think the way this team is currently constructed with that defense, anything is salvageable here? No. But the other team I follow closely in college football, uh, my beloved Washington State Cougars, who knocked off Wisconsin this week, last year had a coach fired midseason for completely different reasons in that I... Uh, he did not want to get the vaccine and was willing to die for that instead of actually coach a football team. And they promoted an interim coach midseason, and the team rallied around him more so than they ever did with nutjob nut Nick Rolovich. And he ended up doing so good in the second half, he kept his job, culminated with an absolute drubbing of their rival Washington in the rivalry week. There is, I don't think a big chance, but a non-zero chance that Mickey Joseph, in this audition for the job, can rally the team around him and push together a second half in a Big Ten West that looks terrible. Wisconsin lost to Washington State. Iowa cannot score points to save its life. Do you trust Minnesota to win the division? Northwestern lost to Duke. Purdue screwed up majorly in time management against Penn State. This is a sickos division. I am not ruling Nebraska out of this if they can find something under Mickey Joseph. I, I, I think that Mickey Joseph is the exact kind of guy. He's dripping with professionalism. He seems much more eloquent and at least able to explain his thought processes than Scott is. Uh, Whipple and Scott almost clearly had some level of tension, right? Like, I don't... I don't want to read the tea leaves as much as nobody else wants to read the tea leaves, but it sure seems not awesome. Um, their relationship did not seem great. And I would be shocked if Mark Whipple is bad to be seeing Scott Frost leave this program. I would be for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
The interim coach Washington State promoted last year was the special teams coordinator. That means the offensive and defensive coordinator stayed the same. We're kind of doing the same thing with the wide receivers coach. The offensive and defensive coordinator stay the same. While Skins has done terribly this season, Whipple, his offense has looked improved from what Scott had did in the four years prior. So that is, so the foundation is staying the same. We just don't have, you know, the idiot and chief in charge anymore. Yeah, and that was like, it would be my point. It was like, I think him at the front will unify, like, the coaching staff. I don't think all of the locker room is going to get, like, this problem is going to get solved right away, like, and Scott not being there. But I think, like you said, or like Nick said, like, he's got terror professionalism about him to try and attempt to match those relationships and bring the team together. The weak point from here is, Still going to be the defense. Absolutely. The offense, like you had said, like it looked pretty good. It's looked pretty good the last couple weeks. We just can't stop the ball to save our lives. Let's say, I mean, let's let's play in the sky for a minute. Let's say that Andrew gets his stuff together enough. Whipple cooked up something, and he's maybe less on a leash than he was before. And we look at a situation where we at least hang with Oklahoma. And then let's say we do make a run at, or we look like we are making a run at the conference. If Nicky Joseph is like, hey, listen, Sinander's not my guy, which I highly doubt he is Nicky Joseph's guy. Or Sinander fixes his stuff out. Like, in that case, we don't need anybody. But I can also totally see Sinander getting the axe later this year. Or honestly, like, hey, we've got to scapegoat somebody for another really bad loss. Let's say we take Yale at, we play for Duke, right? Yeah. Or Maryland, you know. If we, if we take the hit there, Sinander's a perfect scapegoat. Absolutely. I I think that Mickey Joseph, number one, he's the best recruiter on the staff. And uh, he's been with us, like, the least amount of time, so he has, like, less cumulative blame than Shenandra does for the entire tenure. So if they lose again, you know, and it's clear that the offense isn't the problem and that Mickey Joseph has kept the team somewhat engaged, I can see Shenandra getting the boot before season's end if the staff thinks they might have something in Mickey Joseph. Because it's a weird world out there when it comes to hiring coaches. You know, if you can promote someone in-house who looks promising, you will do it. But what Mickey Joseph needs to do to get that is, uh, I, I think, you know, what Sipple said on a podcast earlier this week was Frost needs eight wins to be retained. I don't know how that changes with Mickey Joseph. I think if he gets us to seven and five or eight and four, it's his job. But that is a tall, tall task with what has started. So if he somehow pulls that off, then I think he's got it. And uh, one last thing, I don't know how much we have left to mention about Mickey, so I'll just mention this now. Uh, Shout out to the University of Nebraska. Mickey Joseph is the first black head coach in any sport ever for the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Sure took you long enough. God damn. it's almost not my choice. It's by default. It's it's not the way you want to end that streak. But God, what? 
it's embarrassing enough we had that, so at least this is something, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, yeah, accidental improvement is the story of things getting better in the Midwest. But, yeah, I, I find, it, the whole thing is kind of a sure what the hell at the end of the day, right? If Nikki Joseph works out and things go well, awesome. If they don't, we're exactly where we were before. Mm-hmm. The only world I think is complicated is if Nikki Joseph gets the fans together, and also if uh, if Nikki Joseph like becomes a popular figure and wins six games to get to a bowl game, and there's still somebody better out there. Which segue, bitches? Who's out there for us, Justin? Thank you, thank you for this. I have a. Last year, alluding back to articles I never got to write for the DN, after the Minnesota loss, I was very, uh, I was so mad that in the hotel room of, in Minnesota, I compiled a list of 35 head coaches I would rather have than Scott Frost. This season, with Scott Frost fired, I only have three. There are three names that I think are A, attainable, and B, would get this program going good. There are a bunch of auxiliary G5 coaches, P5 assistants out there, who I would be fine with. But there are three names that I would call first and foremost above anything else. This is not a list of 35 like last year where I was cool with anybody. I have, I have done the research and found three people I am calling. This You're season. Calling? Yep. If, if I'm Trev Alberts, I'm calling. All right. My number one choice. I alluded to this earlier in our preamble. Uh, I mentioned the NFC South is trash this year. Nick and I are both fans of separate NFC South teams, the Falcons and the Saints, and there is one thing we can agree on. Root against the Carolina Panthers. As a Nebraska fan, I implore you, to root against the Carolina Panthers because their head coach, Matt Rule, is not cut out for the NFL. But what he was good at is college football coaching. He took Temple from a 2-10 and team to a 9-10 and win team for multiple seasons. He took Baylor from one of the most toxic cultures in college football history, which is not saying anything lightly. That was legitimately one of the worst, most awful, you know, college football coaching departments ever. And they suffered the sanctions for it and had a one in like a two-win season. He took over that and got them to a Big 12 championship appearance. And because of his strength in that, in those two rebuilds, he got an NFL job that he just wasn't cut out for. You know what? Neither was David. And if he does bad enough this year with the Panthers, and considering he just lost to the Browns, who don't even have their sex pervert quarterback yet, there's a very good chance that he gets fired on Black Monday, second week of January. But that's a dangerous game, because he's going to be the pick of the litter, and there's a non-zero chance that Auburn and Florida State are looking for coaches, too, this offseason. And this is the second week of January, so you're going to have to wait a bit to hire him. Some other coaches who are good might be off the shelf while you're waiting for him. 
So you have to know you have him lined up to hire him. But in my opinion, he is the number one thing you could look at. So root against the Panthers. Number two. This coach, uh, this is not the last hire that Matt Rule is. This is not a hire who I think will likely get you to a conference championship game, a national championship game, the playoff, whatever. But this is a coach who more so than anybody I think Nebraska can realistically get will have this program in the right direction. If I can't get Matt Rule, this is the next number I am dialing. He has, this is his first year out of coaching, and uh, he just this week mentioned on a brand new podcast he would like to get back in it. Spit out the name! Okay. Bronco Mendenhall, ex-BYU coach, ex-Virginia coach. BYU, a program with a tremendous recruiting disadvantage, given that it can only recruit players who are cool with doing a three-year Mormon mission. He took them from a two-win team to a perennial 10-win team. Virginia, the bottom dweller of the ACC, he got them to a perennial contender in the ACC Coastal Chaos Division. This is a program builder coach. This is a coach who will take a mess and get it in a good place. He is a great defensive mind who has a fun offense and builds a culture around a team. I don't see this coach getting, you know, undefeated season or a conference championship. But if you want a coach that will get Nebraska out of a rut, it is Bronco Mendenhall. I I believe in him so much. BYU fans and Virginia fans, for the most part, have nothing but glowing things to say about him. He retired for quote-unquote family reasons, but just this week he mentioned that he wants to get back at it. And knowing what I know about him, He's like a 50-year-old Mormon man who likes to ride horses. Nebraska is a perfect place for a man like that. Okay? Bronco Mendenhall, I think, would have great success here. This is the most resources he will have ever had. He will, at the very least, have this program in a better state for whoever takes over it next. And at the very least, I think that's what we all want. Here's... I'm going to play... You know, uh, for lack of a better word, I'm going to play devil's advocate, which I suppose is appropriate to dealing with the Mormon. Uh, he seems nice. He seems like a really nice fella. Um, and he also seems like he could take a team, like you said, to, to you know, a 9 and 3, 8 and 4 season pretty consistently. Maybe, maybe an occasional 10 and 2. Um, and with a with a changed playoff system that I think we need to start talking about with a twelve first playoff, the Tennessee team is the playoff team. Realistically, in the Big Ten, uh, especially as power conferences die, um, and you know when you got a world where there are maybe two, maybe three power conferences in a couple of years, um. I mean, that, that also just to note the whole conference realignment thing right now, that puts us in both advantage and disadvantage, right? On yeah. the one it's so cool that we're a Big Ten team. Uh, I, I genuinely feel much better about this hiring process 
knowing that we are going to still be in a power five for the next hundred years, as far as I'm concerned, unless there's a huge, unless we continue to be dreadful, there's a huge shakeup, and Nebraska gets left out of a reimagined first division of NCAA football, right? Mm-hmm. That being said, the fact that we are doing this now and not in a year or two sucks because we don't know which teams are in and out of the good conferences for sure. So there are teams, I'm thinking Oregon, I'm thinking Washington, I'm thinking, you know, uh, even like a, uh, you know, like Florida State of the world and stuff who might have different coaches in a couple of years who are in different situations who say, you know what, I'm going to leave a good thing at a former Power 5 school to move to a school that will now definitely be a Power 5 school. Would have been a huge advantage that Scott could have held on longer. He couldn't, and I'm not saying we should have held him. I'm not saying we should have held him. I'm going to make that very clear. But blessing and a curse with realignment happening now. Mm-hmm. I will add on to that. That is something I was thinking about, you know, how it would change the hiring pool for Nebraska where, you know, somebody like the Iowa State coach or the NC State coach or the Utah coach would be attainable. But then the playoff expanded with six automatic bids for conference champions. The Pac-12 stands USC and UCLA. The Big 12 stands Texas and Oklahoma. The American, the Sun Belt, are now very easily a red carpet to the playoff for any coach worth their salt in those respective conferences. So I don't see, for at least the time being with that playoff, until the breakaway happens, which I think is at least pushed down the line with this new playoff, I don't see any coach thinking that, uh, you know what, Nebraska's worth a shot because I don't want to get left behind for the time being. Not now. Not with us firing Scott Frost right now. The writing is not on the wall as much as it once was that there are going to be only two conferences here. That's why I think the pool has significantly shrunk and that Matt Rule, uh, Bronco Mendenhall, and the third coach I think it's mentioned, Lance Leipold of Kansas. I follow Kansas football somewhat closely because I'm a sicko. This was one of the, this was the worst Power 5 job by far and he is getting them in a positive direction. If you can double his salary, which with our budget is more than likely, he will come here and turn around an e- not an equally tough task, a less tough task with more resources as he is turning around Kansas. I truly believe that he was an assistant during the Solich days. Whether that's a positive or a negative is up to you. But uh, you know what? Those are the three guys I think are realistic and worth a look and would work because I don't think we can poach anybody who is going to be a new playoff contender with the new format. I really don't. I don't see any of those pipe pipe dreams working unless we somehow have the funds to have a number they can't refuse. All right, I am going to rapid-fire some contenders to you and hear what you think about them, okay? I like these three. I find them all interesting. But uh, Chris Kleiman of Kansas State. I uh, I would not be against that at all. He's done a great thing with that program. That program has managed to put Adrian Martinez in the best situation possible, which is him not needing to do everything for an offense. And uh, I think they can make a legit run at the Big 12 
to this year, or at least make the championship game. The thing is, I'm not sure he leaves for us, unless we really break out the checkbook. Would not be against it, but uh, I'm not counting my chickens with him. I, this is, okay, this is just an argument that I think, Justin, I love you, I think this is a stupid, stupid argument. We're going to break out the goddamn checkbook. It's Nebraska football. Of course we will. We're willing to pay. I, I genuinely believe this. And Trev Alberts, man who's ready to do two things, make tough decisions and succeed in succeeding football, right? Mm-hmm. That is, one, in his greatest talent, making decisions that might appear unpopular to a wide swath of people who are not paying as close attention as they should be and do not have the best football for this university at heart, right? Mm-hmm. The second thing is his one mandate here. Volleyball's fine. Don't touch it. Men's and women's basketball, listen, it'd be great if the men could play better, but no one really care. Women's occasionally make the tournament, right? All of those things currently, currently, look very autopilot. Or at least like they're going to be easy to figure out if there are any problems, right? Mm-hmm. The one thing Trav Alberts needs to do for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in a meaningful way is improve the football team. And he will stop at nothing, including zeros on a paycheck, to get there. We will pay saving money. And for anyone who doesn't think we have saving money, especially for something that's forward-thinking like this, we do. Look at the expansion we just built. The tank bounds, you know, of dubious, dubious, dubious stature. Hank Bounds was able to raise. If he was able to put together money to do that, Trev Alberts, I promise you, has every rich Nebraskan who's interested in football on speed dial willing to cut him an anonymous check to get whoever he needs. The money is not an issue when I refuse to hear the argument. That is absolutely fair. I I do think, though, that uh, if you are cranking out the checkbook, I think you'd want to see a more splash hire than you know, Chris Kleiman. I think Chris Kleiman would be a good hire. Do not get me wrong. He would be a good hire. I don't know if I'd put him better than anybody in my top three. But I would not be opposed at all if they cranked out the checkbook and poached him from K-State. But I think that uh, if you have the very vast amount of funds that you're claiming, you're going to set your sights on someone like Mark Stoops of Kentucky, who has done great things with the Kentucky program and is underpaid based on what he has done for that program. And you're likely going to get in a bidding war with Kentucky boosters who care more about basketball than football. So if you do have that insane amount of funds, I think you'd go after, like, Mark Stoops before, you know, Chris Kleiman. But then I am not opposed to Chris Chris Kleiman in the slightest, I think would be a great hire. Here's a man who's probably the number one candidate that you didn't mention, which I find fascinating. This is a splash hire and that I don't think requires you to break out the checkbook and the checkbooks of the boosters. Matt Campbell, Iowa State head coach. Matt Campbell's an interesting case because according to some good sources, he turned down the Packers job. And if you turn down the Packers job, I don't see why you would go to Nebraska, you know, 
he seems very happy with uh, his current situation at Iowa State. And uh, I do think that with the resources here, he would do very good. I just think that, you know, if you turn down the Packers, if you turn down, you know, like Florida or any other major Power Five who has, you know, reportedly tried to call him, I don't see what tips the skills to Nebraska unless the money is just that significant. And and Matt Campbell, you know, I do really like as a coach. You know, I do think he would do great things here. And there is a report from Lars Anderson who, you know, broke, I believe, the Scott Frost news before anyone else that he is Trev Albert's number one target. But this is also the same Lars Anderson who claimed that Ed Stewart was going to be our next athletic director. So take that with a massive grain of salt. My biggest thought right now is, are we genuinely looking for a big splash hire? Like, that's what got us into this situation in the first place. We were looking for a big-ass splash hire in Scott to get a program from zero to hero. Do we, do we really want somebody like that, or do we just want somebody consistent for a little bit? Can I answer that, Justin? Go for it. We're the Nebraska fucking Cornhuskers. That used to mean something. It doesn't anymore. Nothing short of a big splash hire is A, and this is where Nick gets Lincoln and Leo's right, the fitting of this university. And B, nothing short of that is like, gonna keep the fans happy. Which is why I'm gonna segue quickly because we have to talk about it. Because we're a white dude talking about Nebraska football podcast. I'm gonna mention the one, the only, the creepy, the biggest flash in his pants higher that I could possibly mention. Just how we feel about our bike, who is coming to Lincoln on probably Friday, at the very least Saturday, Urban fucking Meyer. All I have to say is I really hope not. I really hope Albert's is smarter than that. I do think it's very telling that all the Urban Meyer smoke, aside from the Dan Patrick source, which, you know, take that as it's worth given his track record, has come from fans, not media. Not almost nobody in the media is, you know, suggesting Nebraska should hire Urban Meyer. That's not nothing. You know, I really hope we don't. Would I put it above the university to give him a call? No. Would this be undoubtedly the biggest splash you could possibly make? Yes. Would this more likely than not work? Yes. But for just personal reasons, and that uh, Trev Alberts knows he's opening a can of worms with this candidate that would not be there for any other candidate who, again, if they're cranking out the checkbook, you could get a, maybe a Matt Campbell, maybe a Chris Kleiman, maybe a Mark Stoops, who would have similar success, not comparable splash, but a splash nonetheless without that massive, massive baggage. 
So I think you would have to look there. I think if those three tell you no, and you still have in, in your mind that a, instead of consistency, splash is way in front in the driver's seat, that you don't even look at, you know, Mendenhall or Leipold or whoever, then you would call Meyer. But I really hope that Alberts is smart enough. And I think he might be. I, you know, I don't know him. I don't, you know, claim to know anything that goes on his, in his brain. But from what I can gather, I think, I don't think that he would, if he could get, you know, a solid, consistent hire without that baggage, without the likelihood of leaving in five years like he did at all the other stops, that uh, he would call Urban Meyer. I think Urban Meyer would be a last ditch. Everyone's told me no. I didn't want to do this, but you know what? This is the one move I have left that I know will work. And I don't want him to do it. I really don't. Because, I'm going to go on a side tangent here. This is what I'm thinking about. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to draw the line somewhere. There is a very valid argument that uh, sports, especially football, and especially college football, have a bunch of inherently immoral qualities that uh, if you were to draw the line anywhere, you know, you would be excusing a bunch of things that should go across the line when it comes to moral quandaries. For forever, players were not allowed to get paid. This is a sport that objectively produces brain damage that no human should sustain. Multiple programs in college athletics have covered up child molestation in the names of winning more games. If you are, you know, okay enough with those things to continue supporting the sport, I don't see why Urban Meyer is the line. But you know what? What in my brain, it would I would I root for a program that was not Nebraska who hired Urban Meyer? The answer is no. If Florida State or Auburn hired him, I would root against him as much as I could. Just because it's my team, that would not change. So. If they hire Urban Meyer, I am drawing the line there and I am done as a fan. I just won't care. This is all very interesting to me. And I want to say I respect that. I, I truly do. But, and I want to make this abundantly, abundantly clear. I am not settled on this at all. This is not even my opinion. This is something I am saying for the sake of having the argument. Because, as Justin conceded, it would probably work. It would probably work. What are a couple reasons that folks are morally averse to Urban Meyer? Um, First of all, I think just very recently his tenure as the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach uh, had almost nothing flattering to say about him as a human being beyond the infidelity at his restaurant, which is honestly the least of his concerns, if you can, you know, believe that. Of a, he reportedly, you know, as the kicker was stretching before the game, uh, kicked him in the leg. He was, you know, ticked off and, uh, you know, slightly injured because of it, told him to suck it up. Does that sound like a leader of young men to you? It does not to me. And he got removed from Ohio State 
because his assistant coach, wide receivers coach Zach Smith, abused his wife, was arrested for domestic violence, and Urban Meyer did everything he could to A, cover it up, and B, keep, it, keep him on his staff when that was known. And going even back to his tenure at Florida, you look at someone like Aaron Hernandez, a convicted double murderer, where there were signs there that he was a dangerous human being that Urban Meyer very clearly ignored in order to keep him on the football team. To say nothing of others on that team, that was one of the wildest teams possible you could ever imagine in college football. But they won a lot and uh, eventually forced his way out of it somewhat because of it. And also because they happened to have Jesus at quarterback with Tim Tebow. That smoothed out a lot of PR. Like, oh my God. So, there is even more I have not mentioned yet. Like, I, you know, I'm sure some research would mention. But the big thing is uh, that Zach Smith's domestic violence thing was two years ago. Two years ago. His act of contrition to make up for that in the public eye was having... Uh, at bare minimum, a top three most scandal-ridden coaching tenure in NFL history. He has done absolutely nothing to even slightly redeem himself in the public eye. So Nebraska, or whoever, essentially would be giving him a shot solely for the purpose of winning games, morals be damned. At all. There is nothing you can point to him doing that would even remotely support the hypothesis that he's changed from this. He has learned from his past mistakes. Because at every single stop he has been at, bad things have happened. Morally bad things have happened to players, to his family, to women. And that has not changed. And bringing him into Nebraska would essentially be accepting that that is likely to happen at the cost of winning games. And that is not something I can support when there are a plethora of candidates who do not bring that with them. I hear you. I do. And again, the argument I'm about to make is going to be sticky, and it is not something I necessarily believe. But I do believe that there is a case for bringing Urban Meyer to Nebraska football because morally, nothing changes. You told us a story about a troubled young troubled young youth who in his college career showed the possibility for committing a real and violent crime that would land him in prison. And I point you to Lawrence Phillips, a young man who under our most historic winning as head coach did the exact same thing. You point me to sexual infidelity in a marriage, and I point you to all of the reports that Scott Frost was fooling around in the rail yard, was fooling around with girls who were our age across downtown Lincoln. So much so that it was important for him to bring his wife and child out onto the field with him of the tunnel walk of the spring game to make a statement about his personal life. If you read that as anything else, you're a pie-in-the-sky Nebraska fan, and I can't help you. That's blatant optimism. You talk to me about player abuse, and I point you to two weeks ago when Scott Frost bragged to 
to the media about how much players were vomiting. Now, I absolutely agree that pushing a player until he vomits and kicking him in the leg are different things. But you would be... We, we both expressed concern. And we ultimately said probably is nothing going on. But I would not at all be shocked if players come out in the coming weeks and say similar things about Scott's tenure. And finally, you mentioned covering up sexual assault. Scott Frost, in his own home, watched, or uh, not sexual, sexual assault and domestic violence, right? Yes. Scott Frost, in his own home as a player, watched Lawrence Phillips drag a woman out of his apartment and beat the shit out of her. A woman that Scott was sleeping with. Ladies and gentlemen, the University of Nebraska Lincoln has never been line drawers. Since the 1980s, there have been conversations about whether or not Tom's players were using steroids. It has almost become the worst kept fact in Nebraska history, the worst kept secret, that they almost certainly were. Don't tell me about strength coaches. People have always lifted weights. People have not always intravenously injected HPH. We just happened to do it at this school before there was consistent testing for it. And there were mad rumors at the time. Go look up the SI headline. We in this state engage in zero worship. Urban Meyer would be no different than these same scumbags that have been revolving door through this program since the 80s. And again, I, I don't know if I firmly believe that. And you know what? I, I will say I firmly believe it's the wrong hire for Nebraska at the end of the day. But I look and I say, you know what? I didn't draw the line when we hired Scott knowing what we knew. Maybe I could have. Maybe I could, right? Mm-hmm. I certainly don't draw the line at not celebrating Osborne championships, throwing skeletons in his closet. They happened, and they were good to stick. I'm not excusing this bad behavior. It needs to stop. I want to make that perfectly clear. We can do everything we can to limit all of the bad behavior in football. What you can't tell me is definitely, definitely, definitely the University of Nebraska will not hire someone because of moral grounds, that would be the first time that this happened in the history of the University of Nebraska. It comes down to Trev Alberts' moral compass. We're going to find out. But I do think it's silly to say it is laughable that we would hire Urban. Because as Justin said and as I firmly believe, Urban would win the games. Would he lose the fan base? Almost certainly not, based on everything I've just said. If anything, people people try to paint a picture that Nebraska has less scandals. Nebraska doesn't have less scandals. Nebraska is systematic at keeping scandals covered up, has a media that is friendly at keeping scandals covered up at this university. Can I point you all to the you know, Capri Davis nonsense of a couple of years on the years ago on the football team, or on the volleyball team. Did that stop anyone from being a Nebraska volleyball fan? There are skeletons bulging the door and falling out of the closet across the entire University of Nebraska Lincoln. 
in my mind, based on past, if it, it, it passes prologue and it passes at all predictor, it's going to happen. If, if that's who Trev wants, that's who Trev will get. That was very well said. Absolutely. Top class analysis right there. I, I know it as such is because it is going to make me admit a moral and a logical fallacy in my argument of not supporting the team Scott Frost's coach. Not Scott Frost, if Urban Meyer was hired. My point is uh, that everything you said is true. Tom Osborne had numerous, numerous moral failings as the head coach of the Nebraska football team and is universally celebrated in the state so much we elected him to Congress. Scott Frost has had numerous moral red flags throughout the tenure. At the end of the day, what other people think matters. And to me. And public image matters. This is, you know, absolutely a really non-consistent moral philosophy with everything you just mentioned, but this is honest to God how I feel. Frost, as the head coach, was not explicitly known for that in the way that Urban Meyer is. Somebody whose image is all the bad things about Frost being hired would hurt differently. This is something I kind of I almost went through as a fan of the Atlanta Falcons one until the Browns at the 11th hour made him the highest paid quarterback almost in the entire NFL. The Falcons were all lined up to have Deshaun Watson, a man with 25, the number doesn't matter, it's insanely high, counts of sexual misconduct against him. And the Falcons bent over backwards to try to trade for him to be the starting quarterback. And you know what? The Falcons have drafted and signed players with very morally wrong things in their past. Those players were not the starting quarterback who would get success based on wins and losses. Who, a large portion of the fan base, knowing, because there is a portion of the fan base that does not know or actively think about those things with Scott Frost. They should. They absolutely should. But they don't. With Urban Meyer, it is unavoidable to think to not think about. So seeing the fan base bend over backwards to defend somebody who beyond a reasonable doubt you cannot not know has done these things would feel so gross. Seeing Falcons fans welcome the idea of Deshaun Watson as quarterback made me feel so gross that I was like, I cannot root for this team if he is the quarterback. I know all about, you know, the moral failings of players we have drafted and signed before. The structure of the NFL. Anything you want to say. But the fact that the person who would get credit for the turnaround is somebody who knowingly, you beyond a shadow of a doubt, had to make moral compromises with and uh, who the fan base would be celebrating and in spite of those moral consequences, and in large portion, as many Falcons fans did, claim innocence of, 
or defend actions of those obvious wrongdoings would feel so disgusting I just could not support it. That is where the difference is. This is just purely a personal thing of a what people know about him matters. Should it? Probably not. This is, you know, again, I am not claiming to be a moral arbiter of everything I say is the correct position to have morally. If you want to support a team that has Deshaun Watson at quarterback or Urban Meyer at head coach, go for it. You don't have to defend it to me. As, as so long as you do not make excuses for their actions. If you just say, hey, nothing has changed by the results of these people existing in this space, I cannot argue against that. I just personally cannot make myself comfortable with the open embrace of a, and open credit of a turnaround with that cost attached to it. That's it. I was ready to throw my Falcons fandom in the trash. I would be willing to do the same thing for the Huskers. I think that that is a... That's brilliant to said. And I don't think... I, I'm never going to judge anyone for drawing a line, even if it is realistically too late. And honestly, I, I think I'm in the same spot where, you know what? I uh, I have, in the last six months, purchased something from Amazon. So I, I can't morally judge where people put their money or their time. Because I, I know what that reasonably cost. And so I'm, I'm not here to say that I'm a moral arbiter either. But it is within sort of our work, our line of work as reporters, and in this case, frankly, as pundits, right? That's what we cosplay as for this little podcast. I think we, we sit here and we ask ourselves, what will people do? We've been asking what Scott would do. We've been trying to predict that for years now. We're, we're at least here for most of the podcast talking about what Trev will do. So I want to posit this to you. Trev's interest is not whether or not Justin Slavichka or Gabe Bozeman or Nick McConnell continue to be Nebraska fans. Trev's interest is, is, is the median Nebraska fan or even the 75th percentile Nebraska fan who's uncomfortable with Urban Meyer going to continue to support Nebraska, especially considering that, like we just said, he probably gets the job done here. There's no reason he doesn't. Mm -hmm. By all accounts, regardless of bad behavior, he can recruit like a son of a gun. By all accounts, regardless of bad behavior, he runs a tight ship. By all accounts, forget accounts, by all evidence, you win games. And wins games in basically any college situation he's put into. Do you buy that the median Nebraska fan no longer supports this team? Because I want you to consider 
how Lawrence Phillips gets talked about in this state. A troubled guy. Had a tough life. Made a lot of bad decisions. Tom just couldn't help him. He had a lot going on. Probably mental illness. Lawrence Phillips was a terrible pilot. Offensively to anyone with any moral compass. A terrible person. Am I going to say that nothing bad ever happened to him in his life? Of course not. But bad things happen to people all the time, and it's how people act following those that dictates their moral worth. Lawrence Phillips, over the course of his life, that we knew, and I felt like I knew the guy, but that we know of, Lawrence Phillips showed very little moral worth over the course of his life. And yet, Nebraska fans... Media, regular Nebraska fans make excuses, and moreover, they forget. They don't talk about it. What are Midwesterners good at if not not talking about the elephant in the room? It's like a superpower out here. We don't give a shit if we don't want to, and we don't have to. Do I think that the media team at UNL could, before the hires even made, convinced Urban Meyer to go out in a suit and tie. Shit, man, Urban Meyer's on big noon kickoff. We're having him to campus on Saturday. Lincoln, get ready. Mow your lawns in case he drives by. Because he is college football royalty. The more I talk about it, the more I think about it, the more confident I am that he very well could be coming to Nebraska. When have we ever shied away from the circus when we were winning? We put up with both Lee, who morally right or morally wrong was poorly behaved and we caught hell for it. And it wasn't until who did he come after? The fans. And we all really said it's time for him to go. And the athletic director. He, he spent a lot of his tenure daring the guy with the power to fire him to fire him. Name one profession that's ever worked out in. That's fair. That's fair. WWE fighter. That's the profession. That is very true. Somehow Vince got out of there this year. I, I know very little about wrestling. I am still floored that Vince McMahon is no longer the head honcho of WWE. It feels like he was the Pope. Yeah. Like he was going to do it till he died, and then there would be white smoke out the top of a cage somewhere. That denoted who the new uh, WWE CEO would be. <laughs> I know. But, no, I, I mean this. Trev Alberts, Trevor, Alberts' conscience is the only thing stopping Urban Meyer from coming to Lincoln. Because I think Urban would be interested. I don't see why he wouldn't be, especially with that kind of a paycheck. That's that's truly the only argument I'm making at the end of the day, that I truly fully put my full force behind. I'm not just bringing it up as a point. I'm bringing it up as what I think is a reality. Nothing stopping Urban Meyer from coming to Lincoln except Trev Alberson and maybe Ronnie Green and maybe Ted Carter's conscience. That's it. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Well said. And there is one non-moral conscious thing I think could prevent it is a his track record of leaving jobs early for family reasons. That's about it. If you hire Urban Meyer, you know that it is likely he will be gone in five years. Right at the peak of his tenure. This is a hire that you get knowing full well that once the job is done, Urban is likely done with it. Given his two previous stops at jobs more prestigious than Nebraska, as Ohio State and Florida are. Sorry to anybody who that offends, it's true. Who, he stepped down for family reasons, and when some scandals he just could not escape, caught up to him. At this point, the NFL won't have him back. But let's say Urban Meyer, five years, gets the Huskers really going again, and the USC job opens up. The LSU job opens up. The, you know, pick a school that's more prestigious than Nebraska. There's a decent chunk of them out there. Let's say one of those jobs opens up. Notre Dame. I don't care. Let's say that job opens up. What is honestly telling you he won't leave in a heartbeat? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I think every much as moral conscience, that's on the mind, is that if Notre Dame, USC, LSU, Tennessee, whoever, opens up, Meyer's going to be on the phone with them. So, we know this based on his tenure. No, 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 I agree, we know this, we know this, he's probably here for five years. Would Florida be better or worse today if Urban Meyer never went there? I would say worse. Would Ohio State be ranked third in the nation this week if Urban Meyer never stepped foot on that campus as a head coach? Probably not. If Urban Meyer brings Nebraska sniffing distance of a conference championship within the next five years, or realistically what he wants to do before he leaves the job to keep that sterling track record, if Urban Meyer wins a Big Ten with Nebraska and takes them, presumably, to a college football playoff, expanded birth or no, is Nebraska in a better spot than it's in right now? Yeah. So, I don't think that precludes Trev from hiring. The, the years of the Tom Osborne long tenure are gone. Saban is the last, and I truly believe this, the last one to ever happen. He's the last of the friggin' Mohicans in that regard. He is a shining unicorn of is a 90s-style coach in a 2022 environment. And David probably doesn't have more than five years left. Let's be realistic. Do you see him coaching in 10 years? I don't. I'm not not counting him out. I've I've learned my lesson with Tom Brady. If somebody doesn't age, believe them until they do. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Maybe he is, but he'll be the only one who's still in the same spot. 
and on the top of college football in 10 years. It's cool if it leaves that quickly as far as the University of Nebraska Lincoln is concerned because who's he going to leave in his wake? A guy who's been grooming for five years like Ryan Day. And if you wouldn't take Ryan Day and the setup that Ryan Day has right now, again, ranked third in the nation, undefeated, presumptive Big Ten champions, definitely going to play probably some combination of Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Notre Dame in the playoffs. Notre Dame's 0-2, man. Yeah, fair enough. You're right. I forgot they lost to Marshall yesterday. Charles Huff, sneaky coaching contender. Instead of just Bama, Georgia, Clemson, then. Who should I be thinking? I have not paid as much attention to the top as I should be. Maybe USC. Uh, God. It's going to be weird, isn't it? Yeah. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Go with Oklahoma. Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Oklahoma and USC. I'll throw those two both in there as dark horses. Yeah. But presumably, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, right? Yeah, Clemson, ah, I can see them tripping up somewhere, but if someone has to replace them in the playoff, and this year is so chaotic elsewhere. It, I, I see two lost teams getting in. I'm not putting – I at this point, after week two, everything I, I thought I knew I have to reconsider and see more evidence of. I cannot predict the playoff right now. I just can't. <laughs> So, yeah. Two, mm-hmm. of course you take Ohio State's position right now. Yes. And it seems like something that Urban is uniquely suited to replicate. We spent way more of this podcast talking about Urban Meyer than I thought we would. I agree. I thought we were in touch with him for, like, and, but there's a lot that goes into thinking about bringing Urban Meyer a complicated figure to coach at Nebraska. And it warrants the discussion of looking at the past, dealing with our own personal moral quandaries that we have with it. Like, yeah. And, and I will pose this question as much to myself as I will to the both of y'all. Let's say they do hire Urban. Two, three years down the line, Nebraska versus Ohio State Big Ten Championship game. Nebraska's got a drive to potentially win the Big Ten Championship. Are you rooting for them to score? I have no idea what my answer is in that situation. I want to say no. But if that situation was in front of my eyes, something that I have, you know, something that in my wildest dreams I have not seen the Cornhuskers capable of in my lifetime, I don't know what my answer is. I, 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 I still hope it's no, but, like, if I actually see it, I'm open to that changing things in my in my soul, because I don't know. I'm, I'm with you there, because, like, I'm a part of, like, the contingent of, like, I don't... I agree with Nick that I think if Urban comes here, he wouldn't say he's that something culture very similarly to Ohio State. I agree with that, like none other. But also, I really hated everything that was going on in Jacksonville. And, like, every week there was something new happening that he was doing or that was going on under his leadership that 
cares about the Jacksonville Jaguars. True. Uh, you know what? I take that back. There's got to be, like, some 15-year-old who thinks the logo's cool. There's, like, five. I'm at one. Uh, and they all annoy the shit out of me. At, during, at grade school, one of our recess balls in the in the ball bucket was the Jacksonville Jaguars football. I remember that. It's because they gave them away to kids in far-flung third-world countries like South Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to chat heavy, but I do think it's time for us to start having this conversation. Yeah. It feels very possible that this is what we're looking at. And, and here's the other thing. Urban's not doing anything. No. And if Trev wants to make a move quickly, which if I'm Trev, I, do, I don't want this to drag out. If I'm looking at the paper, Urban's the pick of the litter. Truly, there is... Like, you know, a generationally excellent coach just sitting there on big noon kickoff waiting to be hired. If I'm Trev and I decide I don't have a conscience or I decide I can settle this with my conscience, and let me, let me also be clear, and I don't want to speculate too much, right? Which the product of the uh, Osborne years as much as Scott was. And I think if the, the Osborne years say anything, as I laid out earlier, you got to break some eggs to make a goddamn omelet. Mm-hmm. I will just go back to what I said initially, was that uh, all the rumors from Urban Meyer have come from the fans. Not the media sources who are actually plugged in has reported that Urban Meyer is being looked at by Nebraska. There have been Nebraska media people who have outright denied this as a possibility. Josh Peterson of 1620 has openly said that if he knows anything about Trev Alberts, he will not hire Urban Meyer. So, the evidence I have laid out in front of me at this current time says that Urban is not currently being looked at. But if Matt Campbell tells him no, if Mark Stoops tells him no, and if Bronco Mendenhall, despite me being 100% convinced, he would get this program in a positive direction. Bronco country, let's ride. If he doesn't, you know, get Trev Alberts, you know, motivated enough to pick up the phone, then Urban's going to get called. But I think, based on what I've heard, Urban's not the first call. I, I think our biggest thing of preventing Urban from coming here would be uh, if Auburn and Florida State both fire their coach. They they would make a more passionate run at Urban than us. I guarantee it. Oh, I agree. I agree. I... So if you don't want Urban, root against Florida State and root against Auburn. Oh, twist my arm way, don't you? Yeah. Oh. I know that's going to be a really tall task of Husker fans to root against Florida State, but uh... <laughs> at, at the same time, Essentially, when I think about Nebraska, the media is generally pretty cautious. I don't remember anyone blabbing off about Scott before it felt like a sure thing, sure thing. And granted, Husker fans literally showed up to UCF home games. 
that? Husker fans literally showed up to UCF home games. I'm talking about the media, Justin. I think that uh, the media did not have anything that would discourage that at that time. Do, do I remember everything that was being said in 2017? I do not. I do not. But there is nothing that stands out that uh, signaled that Scott Frost, you know. Nobody did anything to this way way rumors of Scott Frost. The way that at least some people have done with Urban Meyer so far. That's true. But it's also very different circumstances. It is. Not, not I think, because of the moral fabric of this, these men, but because of the press circus that has surrounded them. So for Nebraska fans, uh, I think the season got a whole lot more interesting. Because we can avoid all this talk if somehow Mickey Joseph gets this fixed. You know, that would be a tremendous monkey off the back, a tremendous weight off the back of Albert and the fan base, is if somehow we get seven, eight wins. If, the, if Scott was just that much of a cancer like Nick Rolovich was at Washington State, then boom, we've got our guy. Do we need to preview Oklahoma at all? Do we need to talk about that? We're going to get killed. What if we win? Oh, God damn it. Now we're going to go down another 45-minute rabbit hole. We can't play the what if we win game because... But what if we do? What if we do? Okay, 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 okay. But, you know, we... Like, nothing's turning that defense around. The only thing that would save us is the fact that it is an offensive shootout like none other. Which, honestly, this game lines up to be. Like, what if Scott was doing something and I don't even know what it would be to restrict wide receiver and running back play? What if Scott was a big part of the reason I'm screen 20 times? Like, I don't know. There are a lot of goddamn what is there, Justin. What if? And what does it take to beat Oklahoma? Yeah. Short of a miracle. I know. One other theory I want to mention is uh, I know there's a very slim chance this would have ever happened, but uh, one thing I do want to say that I forgot to mention earlier because we're in an hour and a half in this podcast. I'm getting my points then. Screw you. Uh. Do you think it's at all possible that Frost lost this game on purpose so he'd get a bigger buyout and get fired before his release buyout? No, there wasn't an offside kick. Um, no, I don't think Scott Frost is that smart. 